Totally Football Show. Today, England quick to break at one end and also at the other. We mull over Kosovo and all the other news from the week's final European qualifiers. Then, Premier League, a busy round of games for the leaders. Liverpool hosting Newcastle is 4-3, what the Magpies will give goals away for. And Leicester foxes up at Old Trafford. Is that a fair summary of Ollie's track record there? Much to discuss in this edition of the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and hello here in the studio too. Natalie Jedra from ESPN Brazil. Hello. Bon dia. Bon dia. Guten Tag to Raphael Honigstein. Guten Tag, mein Herr. From the Athletic and Totally Football Show European edition. And... Duncan Alexander, the man from Opta. Hello. Eerily human, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Did you have a good week, Duncan? Oh, pretty good, yeah. yeah. Mm. Rafa, you been off on your travels? I was in Hamburg last week. Germany, Holland. Oh, you were there. Mm. Less brilliant, of course, from your perspective. Oh, it was pretty cool, though. Yeah, amazing game. Natalie, were you busy? Did you take the weekend off? I took the weekend off. I went to the Lake District. Wow. Yes, very nice. Was it nice? Yes. What was your amazing. favorite lake? Uh, I did the cat bell walk. Oh, yeah? Yes. So that was really nice. Okay. Yeah, that was my favorite. Brilliant. Okay, well, while you were doing that, teams were out concluding the international break. Highlights, Germany got back on track with a 2-0 win in Northern Ireland, who they now tie atop their group. But Serge Gnabry nabbing his 10th goal in nine matches. Netherlands three behind in that group after putting four past Estonia away. Scotland lost their third game in a row, a 4-0 defeat to Belgium this time. De Bruyne with four assists and a goal. That leaves the Scots now below Cyprus and Kazakhstan, but they are above San Marino. Wales won their friendly with Belarus 1-0 with a giant peach of a goal from Daniel James. Elsewhere, big Chris Ronaldo gave his answer to suggestions he's not Portugal's number one anymore. One, two, three, four goals from the pants maker in the Selesau's 5-1 win in Lithuania. Most exciting game of the week, though, came on a mad night at St Mary's. England 5, Kosovo 3. It's Marucci. And he got a hand to it, Pickford. But he couldn't prevent it from going in. They just do not give up Kosovo. Duncan, mm. did you enjoy this game? I did enjoy it, yeah. It was a bit like the old Sven Goran Eriksson, first half good, second half not so good uh, on, for England, but Kosovo played really well uh, the whole game, pretty much. Well, we thought they'd be fun, but I don't think we thought they'd be this much fun from the tremendous coach to players like Valon Barisha and his brace. Yeah, I was willing them to get a fourth goal, because if they had, they'd have been the first away team to score more than three in England um, since Hungary in 1953, in that game really? that everyone remembers. So, I mean, that would have been a pretty good little little thing for them to do. But, I mean, they'll take a lot from that game. I mean, they, they look really, really good the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about them a little bit on, on Monday and, and how much of a surprise they've been, how they've been able to, to turn their international form around. But although they dropped behind the Czech Republic now in the group, they're still looking good for a, a place in Euro 2020, or at least they'll have that playoff because of their Nations League performance. And Natalie, it's such an exciting story. Yes, it is. Uh, that's what I was going, going to say, because the, the geopolitical aspect of it uh, around uh, the, the national team of Kosovo is, is really interesting and it makes you sympathize with them, especially uh, watching them play and really going for it. But you saw 
a lot of spaces from both teams. I think that's that's what was most surprising uh, to see so much space in the English team as well. Uh, Southgate defined it well. The, the errors were obvious and the positives were obvious as well. Mm. So uh, defensively, it was a, a bit of a surprise to see England playing like that. But I don't think it's something that we really need to worry about that is going to happen often because I think Southgate is going to adjust that uh, and he will have time for that and the positives obviously the attacking three uh, Jadon Sancho Sterling and Harry Kane they were just fantastic it's impressive how Sterling sees what their needs are on the pitch uh, his his turn on the mid in midfield in one of Sancho's goals it's just amazing how he holds the ball and he has the the speed and the strength to do the run and he he sees everything that's happening and he puts him in the best position it's it's incredible all right Jaden Sancho meanwhile Rafa that's all I was going to give you on that <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to ask a question I no no that's fine I, I I understand where, where you're getting at because um, he does leave you speechless at times mm. um, he is um, he's just so exciting on the ball and is he improving in real time as opposed to well you know you go away for a year and come back and oh yeah he's better than he was but. I mean Southgate made the point that because he's at Dortmund people in England are not exposed to him on a regular basis so it is almost that special novelty effect every single time he turns up for England and you're thinking, wow, what a player, because you don't see him uh, you know, do that kind of stuff every weekend. But of course, his development has been so rapid that it's, it's almost now hard to think of an England team without him starting. And that this, is a, this is a player who's still very, very young, mm. who's still learning, but who's made this place his own now. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to dislodge him because he brings that lovely balance on the flank. Um, if it's just Ryan Sterling, then things are a little bit lopsided. But with two out-and-out wingers who run at people, who really frighten defenders, it's a very potent England setup. And And of course, tactically, it does also, I think, play into Southgate's hands a little bit because if you have um, three strikers, then it allows you to be a bit more flexible. You don't necessarily have to play with five at the back as they used to. Uh, you can play maybe three midfielders because two of them by themselves are not maybe good enough, so you need a third one. So it does um, create, I think, some positive knock-on effects. Mm. In the club level, Manchester United can benefit from this competition in the English team because now uh, Marcus Rashford, he really needs to step up his game. And I th that happens a lot, actually, in the national team, the Brazilian team. Uh, the, the, the players, they improve in their clubs so they can get a spot in the national team. So that might happen with, with Marcus Rashford. It might do. Meanwhile, holy cow, what is going on at the back, Duncan? Uh, from Michael Keane onwards, it was an extraordinary performance. Yeah, it was the worst opening 35 seconds by Keane since the V Festival, I think. So um, he uh, he didn't look too, too what, sharp. What did they open with at the V Festival? I don't know. Just do you, guessing. Do you just, just kind guessing. of write off their entire back catalogue? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Right, I think that's harsh. Isn't that harsh? Yeah, um... I would suggest that a bad dream is, is that would work is worthy of salvaging. Anyway, but let's get back to England's horror show at the back. Yeah, I mean, Keane obviously decided to pass to Cospo within the first minute, um, and then Maguire gave away that penalty, which uh, a few people questioned whether it was a penalty, which seemed slightly insane because it's one of the most blatant penalties ever. And I think um, it seems a strange thing to say, but England do probably miss John Stones. Um, 
given what he did during the Nations League. So it is a bit of a of a, a tricky position at the moment. I mean, we've gone essentially from the Capello era when England, all they had was decent centre-halves mm. and no one up front, really. Um, Rooney just shouting at fans for, for booing. Um, to now where you know, massive options up front, but just a bit shaky at the back. But I think... Generally, I'd rather win 5-3 than, than draw 0-0. So. Fair, but do you share Natalie's confidence that Southgate will tweak this? I mean, who's he going to tweak it with? Well, it's, I think it's more a system, isn't it? He, he went with the 5-3 at the back for the World Cup because he wasn't convinced England could defend with four. Um, he changed it after the World Cup. It's worked to an extent, but it doesn't look too sound. So, I mean, I think it will very much... It'll be interesting to see if England do get to the latter stages of the Euros, whether he, you know, if they get a big game, big target in Spain or France or someone in the quarterfinals, whether he would stick with a four or go back to, you know, plan A. All right, questions for the future. England, anyway, continue their perfect record in the group. The other games that we mentioned, well, Ronaldo, Europe's all-time top international goal scorer now on 93 goals after that. The four uh, he put past Lithuania. That's the 54th career hat-trick. Obviously, it was actually one more. It's the 10th time he actually he's, he scored four in a game for club and country. He's now 16 behind Ali Dai for the all-time international uh, scoring record. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of the goals, but linking beautifully there with uh, Bernardo Silva and João Felix. All looks great. I mean, 93 goals in yeah. international football is extraordinary. It's only two fewer than Ruud van Nistelrooy got in the Premier League, to put it into some sort of context. Right. Um, I saw a clip of, of Roy Keane after the game saying, I've been saying it for years, he's a genius. Um, I don't think he's gone under the radar that much, Ronaldo, <laughs> but his longevity is is the thing that continues to astound. You know, he's... I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if he does eventually get the all-time international record. Perhaps not that eventually. Meanwhile, Rafa, that win at Windsor Park. What a, what a splendid strike to open the scoring there by, is it Marcel Halstenberg? Halstenberg, yeah. I mean, it was a lovely goal and it really rescued Germany because they were so shaky in the first half. They just could not cope with uh, Northern Ireland's pressing. And they had real problems playing out from the back. I mean, Matthias Ginter was just hoofing up and Germany had no sense of rhythm, no sense of control and... It was really, really disconcerting. Um, they'd gone from getting beaten by the Dutch, where they were trying to play counter-attacking football and didn't work, to back to their normal game, inverted commas. But their normal game also is no longer really good, at least not on the evidence of, um, of Monday night, because that control in midfield, that possession game, it just isn't there at the moment. Mm. Um, there are tactical issues, there are personnel issues. You know, They've lost their two best centre-backs when it comes to playing out in Hummels and Boateng. That was Löw's decision. Um, I think now there's a backlash brewing um, uh, against maybe when it comes to Hummels perhaps being recalled, but I don't think he will do it. But the net effect is that you have Kroos and Kimmich in midfield being a little bit overrun and mm. being surrounded by players who are either more direct, the, the people in front of them, or who are not very good on the ball, the people behind them. So you have... a a team that collectively doesn't really work at the moment. And I think it is quite worrying because we all thought or we all hoped that this new Germany that was going to emerge from the ashes of, of the World Cup would be a little bit more uh, fully formed at this point. And it'd be interesting how we fare against Argentina. Mm. Uh, it's only a friendly. When's that coming up? Um, next month. I see. In Dortmund. But it will be, I think, another test for, for this Germany team. Argentina, who got a 4-0 win against Mexico, I think it was. No Messi... 
but a certain Lautaro Martinez with a hat-trick in that exciting time. We'll talk more about South America a little bit later on. Speaking of Northern Ireland, by the way, uh, we're going to be heading there, actually, to the Limelight in Belfast in November as part of our Backstops Back Tour. We're also in Dublin and Liverpool that month and London in a few weeks' time, although I think that might be sold out. But you can find out more information and get any remaining tickets at thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash events. Rafa, you'll be joining us, I believe, for the Liverpool show. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. That'll be exciting. Duncan, uniquely, you're going to be at all four shows. Yeah, that is true. I say uniquely, but I hope to be present at uh, all of them as well. Well, I hope so too, yeah. Good. A lot of people ask, actually, Duncan, what kind of thing can they expect mm. at these shows? Anything you'd like, a little example you'd like to give? Well, I think we like to pride ourselves on reacting in real time to, to world events. Obviously, mm. last week was a big week for chicken um, in, the, in the media, which led to only one question, really, for yeah. me, which was, the, who is the only Premier League player to, with all the letters from chicken in his name to score in the Premier League? Right. Um, obviously... It's Kalichi Iheanacho, but um, that's remarkable. There you, could be others. Not necessarily that material that you'll be using in the live show, but you know something, something along those lines. Yeah, we'll be reacting to to life. Okay, good. Uh, right, we're going to react after this to the return of the Premier League. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Raphael, Very exciting. Raphael yes. and Natalie are uh, pointing at something and tittering, and it is the Premier League fixtures. Yes. Why? Why? What's what's caught your interest there, Natalie? No, I was just positioning myself, just getting ready to to get some Premier League talk. Right. Yeah. That's eyes nice. the eyes have lit up though on that side of the the studio, and it's not surprising given that among the potential highlights of match day five are Leicester's trip to Old Trafford, Chelsea's visit to Windless Wolves. Norwich hosting Manchester City and on Monday the David Cameron derby Aston Villa West Ham most promising of all though is perhaps the game that 22 years ago became the most celebrated Premier League fixture of all Liverpool Newcastle Barnes Rush Barnes Still John Barnes Collymore closing in Time, fire start up by the prodigy number one in the charts, and Newcastle and Liverpool tearing it up with that 4 3. Reams have been written about both that game and, of course, the, the, the second 4 3 that they served up the very next season. But it is the one, the first one in April 96, that was so significant, that being the season of Newcastle's push. Keegan's brilliantly well judged. I'd love it challenged to Sir Alex, which saw the grumpy Govan Gaffer and his Man United crumble in the face of the mind games and Newcastle usher in that new era of dominance. Oh, no, actually, no, Newcastle collapsed. United <laughs> won, and it's been downhill for the Magpies ever since. Wow. Natalie, you're actually going along to the latest Liverpool-Newcastle. Yes. Is this fixture famous abroad? Yes, it is. It okay, is. so you know all about the 4-3. Yes, both Brilliant. of them, yeah. 
Can I just point out on the 4-3 front, Newcastle and Liverpool have played a lot of times over many decades. Yeah. Only two of their fixtures ever have finished 4-3. <laughs> they came in the space of 341 days at the same ground. And it slightly annoys me because then Sky have showed, showed that fixture every season for so long, expecting it to be another 4-3. And I don't think it will. You don't think it will be 4-3 this time? It's on BT this week. Um, I don't think it will be 4-3. Do I think people in 1997 were saying the same thing and it happened. Exactly. Liverpool, since the second of the four threes, have put 89 goals past Newcastle. Uh, you'd expect that total to increase significantly this time around, Natalie? I think so, yes, absolutely. Especially considering uh, Liverpool's form and Newcastle's form. And I think actually Newcastle can benefit from, from this break, from mm. the international break, absolutely, because they have been showing signs of improvement. But anyway, I think I think there there's some work to be done, especially in terms of defence uh, on the Newcastle side. And in Liverpool, uh, I think... Players are calmer now. <laughs> calmer. Yes, calmer. M yes. Money and, and, and yes, Salah. Yes, right. yes, yes. Let's hope so. Eh? Nobody yes, likes to yes, see. Yes, absolutely. Mm. But with Firmino playing like that, we mm. can we can talk about Mane and, and Salah all we want. But for me, Firmino is just stepping onto a new level. Okay. It's, it's this impressive. season, you think? Yes, this season. It's impressive how he keeps evolving and he's just... He his reading of the game, when you think he mastered it, it just gets better and he, he comes up with different alternatives for, for Salah and Mane. So how high can he go? That's that's a big question for me. Yes. What's the latest on Alisson? Yeah, he's been recovering and he's doing some work on the pitch, but I think Newcastle might be too early for him. Maybe Champions League. Maybe. Oh, really? Maybe. So soon? Maybe. Remarkable. You heard it here first. Mm. <laughs> Potentially a vulnerable time for Liverpool coming off the break with the internationals and you've got a busy fixture list coming up. Tuesday uh, sees them in Naples actually taking on Napoli in the Champions League and then ooh, they've got Chelsea next weekend. It's a time of disruption to Jurgen Klopp's plans. Perhaps a good moment for Newcastle. To well, be the right. whole season is going to be like this because of um, the Club World Cup and... Uh, the number of international uh, players that Liverpool have these days, I think they're, they're kind of prepared for it. But at the same time, 12.30, the earliest possible kickoff after International Week is not great. OK, at least you're at home, but it's, it's not really the sort of fixture you want. What I would say is that Liverpool, I think over the last few years, it took them a bit of time. I mean, Duncan might have the numbers, but from sort of memory, it seemed as if those early kickoffs troubled them. Uh, but they seem to have found a way to bring that intensity uh, more regularly, even for those kind of games. Duncan? For me, early kickoffs in Liverpool always remind me of uh, Sander Vestervelt in a cap squinting, because they often seem to... I don't know, was it more sunny in the early 2000s? Possibly. Um, uh, statistics suggest that quite the contrary. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Yeah, I think it's gone a bit under the radar. Obviously, if Liverpool win this game, mm. it'll be their 14th consecutive Premier League win, mm. which for a long, long time was the Premier League record, the Arsenal team under Arsene Wenger. And it was almost this kind of untouchable mark that no team would ever reach. And then City have done it twice and recently, and now Liverpool could could do it as well. And it, it does kind of demonstrate how the Premier League is getting more stretched and you know the top two really are kind of just hoovering up right. victories. Uh, what about Newcastle then? Uh, their last away game saw them triumph unexpectedly at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Are they as hopeless then, the Magpies, as they've been painted? 
Well, to gauge the mood around the club, we talked to Simon Bird, legendary Newcastle correspondent for the Daily Mirror. Simon, thanks for joining us. That Spurs win, first of all, is that was that just a random flash in the pan? Or is there something strange and unexpected happening at Newcastle under <laughs> Steve Bruce? I hope there is, um, because it's covering Newcastle United like being stuck in a time warp. It seems to be the, like the same story for 10 years of, of struggle and angst and fans protesting and wanting Mike Ashley out. The Tottenham game... Um, I would argue it was a bit of a legacy from Rafa Benitez's tactics from last year where they were quite good um, at setting up and blocking teams out um, and staying in the game. They're the, they're the, the last team to actually beat Man City and employed similar tactics all through the season. So it was a bit of a legacy from that. Um, I think we'll see more of the same from Newcastle like that those tactics um, against Liverpool this weekend. Um, so they are capable of, of banking up and, and getting freak results like that. Um, the question mark is whether they can actually entertain and score goals and beat teams like Watford at home, which they didn't two weeks ago. As you mentioned, you've you've lived through some strange times on Tyneside. Yeah. Uh, you were the uh, infamously the fellow called out for that affectionate greeting by a Duke Kinnear back in the day. Where would you rank this season among the kind of the grim times at the club? Uh, well, I don't I don't think it's a grim time quite yet. I think Newcastle fans are quite used to expecting the worst over the last 10 years so there's always that nagging feeling that you know will we get will they get relegated this season uh, will there be a managerial change where's where's the next crisis coming from um that's what's happened to Newcastle fans over the last 10, 10 11 years apart from one season when Pardew got them to fifth um so you know, it's not. It's it probably isn't. It's nowhere near the you know the three you know in the top five probably of the last of the last decade. Um, there's still a chance for Steve Bruce to get to get them going. They've got a core of a decent squad if they can keep everyone fit. They've got a few and they've spent a bit of money in the summer. Joe Linton, forty million. San Maxim, who keeps getting injured, on is about about twenty million. So they have actually spent money this summer. It's a question of whether they can make those signings work to improve them and make them more of a team which are more easy on the eye and a bit more exciting and kick on from the, the sort of two years that Rafa established them in the Premier League. So that's the question mark now. Is I don't think, I think it was a big crisis when Rafa left and, you know, any manager who came in to succeed him was not going to be Rafa Benitez. He was one of the most popular managers, you know, since Bobby Robson, since Kevin Keegan. He, he was up there with those two and any manager coming in after him was going to, have big problems um, convincing the fans that he could he could do a better job. So you know when Bruce was appointed, yeah, lots of moaning, everyone very worried. He wasn't the manager that most Newcastle fans thought was an upgrade on Benitez. But he's, the, these next couple of months are going to be key for Bruce in in sort of getting his team settled and getting some points on the board so that they're not in a, a relegation fight. All right, Simon. Listen, how well do you remember those those two four threes that we always reference at this point? And and do you think we'll see another this time? Uh, no, very unlikely we'll see another one. But they they were magical games. I mean, I, I was a I was a news reporter on the local paper at that point, and and the whole city was was just enraptured by what was going on with that team, scoring goals, leading the Premiership by twelve points in February. Um, everyone thought that could be the year, but you know, wondering whether they could get over the line. It, it was a brilliant time to be in Newcastle, and and there's a kind of a shadow hanging over the whole club since since then because you wonder whether. It, it will ever be replicated. Whether those days that fans who are now in their forties, you know, experienced when they were in their twenties, um, that anticipation and excitement of going to a Newcastle game and having having them, 
you know, <laughs> challenge for a title. Um, we just hadn't seen it before in our in our lifetimes, and it was a wonderful time. And that those games, those games kind of summed up, and they're remembered because they're what Kevin Keegan was all about. All about his emotional guy, uh, playing an emotional football, scoring goals, and conceding goals. Um, and that kind of that that those two games, or the first one especially under Keegan, the second was under Dalglish, but the first one um, where they were just slowly letting the title slip away um, will always be kind of the benchmark for excitement and 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 and. Newcastle just being that team that everyone loved. Simon Bird. You can hear more of Simon Bird's words in the Daily Mirror. Brilliant. Oh, Natalie Jolinton, who Simon was just mentioning. Have you met him? How's he settling in? He struggled a bit in the first two matches, but uh, against Spurs, obviously, was a very good performance, not only for the goal, but because he showed a few characteristics of his that Newcastle can, can really benefit from. He holds the ball really well. He's uh, tactically, uh, he can be a very important player because uh, he's big. Uh, his vision of what's happening in front of him is, is, is good as well. But I think the main point was that Joe Ellington was never a player that scored many goals in his career. But that needs to change now in Newcastle because he never scored more than eight goals in a league. So I think that should be the turning point for Joe Ellington. I, I, I spoke to him, I interviewed him, and he said uh, he's struggling a bit. And he used to play more of a winger uh, in Germany, but he, he doesn't mind at all playing as a centre forward because that's what Newcastle needs now and that's what he wants to offer. So Good. he's just going for the team. If it doesn't work out with him, excitingly, Newcastle have a Liverpool old boy, Andy Carroll. Mm. believe is now ready and primed, set to be unleashed, perhaps, if Steve Bruce is feeling bold. That would be extraordinary, wouldn't it, Duncan? Or well, perhaps not. That would be a story, wouldn't it? Andy yeah. Carroll nodding Liverpool off the top of the table. Yeah, amazing. Hey, uh, speaking of all that kind of thing of being nodded off the top of the table, and just nodding off indeed, follow the trawler, us in view of Liverpool-Newcastle this weekend. How about doing a flip-reverse it? What if Liverpool didn't score at the death at Anfield back in '96? Would that have provided momentum, changed Newcastle's season and have Keegan's loving it moment in private and not live in front of the TV cameras without doing a full flip reverse it. What's your quick answer to that? What people always forget with this is the actual situation going into that match, because yes. everyone remembers uh, Newcastle, Simon said, their 12-point lead that they blew. But going into this game at Anfield, they were two, had two games in hand on Manchester United, and they were three points behind. So win at Liverpool, go level on points, was still with a game in hand, which I think, yeah, they'd have probably gone on to win it. Watford host Arsenal this weekend, and it's fair to say the Hornets have made a few mistakes of late. Winless in eight games, losing the FA Cup Finals 6-0, and sacking a manager just four games into the season. <sighs> Luckily for you, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. We're offering money back as a free bet on all markets if Aubameyang scores against Watford this weekend. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Applies to pre-match singles on all markets. Max refund £10 as a free bet. Does not apply to shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, Man City now in second place, two points behind Liverpool. Go to Norwich. Norwich have already conceded 10 goals after four games. They do have Temo Pukki who scored twice against uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina in the international break. Injury list for Man City includes, obviously, Leroy Sané, Laporte these days, 
Mendy, Benjamin Mendy, I believe, might be back fit for this game. John Stones is back in training. Gundogan, though, is out now. Rafa? I'm not sure. He went back from Germany suffering from um, stomach problems. Oh, so is that what might, it was? might have recovered. Okay. What about then. Gabriel Jesus' hamstring, Natalie? Yeah, we're still waiting to hear about it. It's evolving, but I don't know exactly a day where he will be closer to okay. coming back. Yeah. I see. But City could probably win at Norwich, you think, even without him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to see how City will adjust to not having Laporte, which was uh, one of the players that, that was most uh, consistent, the most consistent defender uh, last season. Mm. No City player played more passes than him last season. And I think we should observe the differences between Laporte and Fernandinho. Fernandinho should step up. Fernandinho, uh, he has a few characteristics, like he can play, uh, he can start the play, he can help with the build-up, as Laporte did uh, very much. Uh, of course, they're very different players physically, but uh, Fernandinho is a great header, and he's very much used in this type of situations in Man City. And uh, Guardiola really appreciates how he observed uh, everything, that uh, the way that City plays. He's a real... Uh, leader in that sense and, mm -hmm. and he talks a lot with Guardiola uh, and I know uh, from previous talks with him that he really enjoys uh, learning from him and uh, observing everything that Guardiola it's, it's a great relationship there so I think uh, it, it could work really well uh, with Fernandinho he's been preparing since uh, the end of last season it was the first time we talked about him playing more in defense okay. so he's been preparing for that excellent All right. well that game's coming up uh, that's the tea term fixture on Saturday should be an interesting one. By the way, Rafa, Daniel Farker, who's a, a ruggedly handsome man, has a nickname, I think, to go with it. Is that correct? Yes. Um, at Lipstadt, where he started out as a coach, they called him Winnetou. 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 Okay. Winnetou is a fictional character from the Karl May Western uh, novels, which are very popular in Germany, and they made a few films in the 60s and 70s. Oh. Long hair, very handsome. Native um, American? Native American, yes. Right, okay. Uh, and when he left Lipstadt, they put him on a horse. Right. Uh, in recognition of that nickname, if you will. Who did? They made uh, him Lipstadt, ride out the club. In, a, in a horse? Yes, they, and, uh, a horse. And, and a Native American, inverted commas, turned up as well. Um, and that's why now Norwich fans are singing that chant with Fox on a horse. I'm so Because they have that. seen the photo. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, it's worth Googling. Excellent. Norwich City have problems uh, as well at the back. There's no uh, Zimmermann. Um, there's no Max Aaron. And uh, there's an interesting article in The Athletic oh. about the fact that whenever Godfrey and Zimmermann weren't playing together, which didn't happen very often last year, I think this is using Opta stats, of course, City really struggled uh, because the partnership, yes, mm. the partnership was really effective. So it, it could be a big problem for, for Norwich not to have the two of them available. Let's have a quick look at the top four race, possible top six race. Wolves hosting Chelsea. Spurs have Crystal Palace. Arsenal welcome Kiki Sanchez-Flores back to the Premier League at Watford. And Man United host Leicester in a top six six-pointer. Mm. Really, Duncan, no. Let's talk about that one. Fox is up there near the top of the table. Third place. United all the way down in eighth with only one win this season. You could call them successively worse performances so far against Wolves, Palace and Saints. I think United have been a bit unluckier than the, than the league table 
uh, implies. I think the, the key man in this game is probably Jamie Vardy. Since Brendan Rodgers took over at Leicester, um, Vardy scored 12 times. There's only two fewer than Manchester United in the same period. <laughs> I think it's quite instructive to see that the last time Leicester won the league, right. their key man, goal scorer Jamie Vardy, probably better than ever, the last time United won the league, their key goal scorer, Robin Van Persie, who we've seen in action this week, but in Vincent Company's testimonial on Wednesday. And he actually looked pretty decent. Right. So did Paul Scholes, indeed Ruti, asking, can Paul Scholes still get into this Man United team? Did you see his one-touch pass? It's a miscuit, yes. no? Was it? Was wow. it? It was nice. Right. On a similar note, Aaron Ingham Grimson says, Aaron, excitable Leicester fan here, could you give a combined Leicester United lineup? Which team would get more players in? Leicester edges it for me, says Aaron. Is that fair? Do they have the better squad now? So not Five, market six. value, but yeah, a, yeah, yeah, efficacy no, I think on the, the mid- Leicester midfield, you'd, yeah. you'd have Vardy. Right. Um, and, I mean, who does Maguire count for? Well, Man United. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you'd go probably De Gea over Schmeichel. Would you? Mm. Oh, yeah, I was curious. Okay. Yeah, Rafi? Yes. Yeah, okay. Any? Who would you have from Man United then? You'd have Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka, Maguire. Yeah, you'd have Chilwell over Shaw, I right. would say. Would so, you? Yeah, I think overall you'd probably have more Leicester players. Really? I mean, uh, the, the fact that we sort of hesitate yep. and start thinking is in itself a story because United really didn't get to where they wanted to be after this transfer window. And... I think Duncan is right. The performances were probably not bad. Um, they warranted probably more points, so the situation could be more rosy. But I still then I think it would still there would still be this undercurrent of expectations that have been thwarted somehow, because I think supporters expected that the big push would come from the player side. Now you have Sosha there in his second season, or his first full season, but I think they all they were hoping that he would be given more quality to work with. And it does feel as if sort of the the momentum that was there when he first took over has been lost and they're sort of drifting a little bit, even though sort of underlying numbers are, are okay. Right. And I think there's a point to be considered for this fixture. Uh, United has only one clean sheet in 19 games, which is bad news when you're facing Madison, Vardy. So that's not good. But the, the good news is uh, United found trouble playing against teams that don't give much space to counterattack. Mm. I don't know if that's the case with Leicester because they're more of, a, of an offensive side. So I think it should be interesting. And I think we can also look at the way that United's kind of ambitions have fallen. They are now sort of semi-restricted to buying players from the Premier League. You know, from from teams like Leicester, and I think James Madison, who you mentioned, Natalie, he's, it's a big game for him because he looks like someone that another good season, and he could be off to United next summer. All right, United who face a busy week. They're travelling to Astana in the Europa League on Thursday, or for a game on Thursday, and uh, we've got a visit from Rochdale in the EFL Cup as well coming up. So the good times keep on rolling. Of course, Palace won at Old Trafford, and they are going to be. Visiting Spurs this weekend. Palace, the last side to win a Premier League game away at Man United, away at Arsenal, away at Man City and away at Liverpool. It's such an incredible record, that. London's best club visiting London's best stadium, I think this game is. Nice, nice. Are they going to pull off another upset there, do you think? Could do. I mean, they've only scored, was it, three goals in four games? Um, And yet they find themselves... uh, in the top four. So, I mean, it's pure Hodgson, and I, I rate pure Hodgson. You do? Mm. Okay. Uh, they've won the last two league games. As you mentioned, uh, goals from Jordan Ayew, the, the key thing there. What you could just you could just about 
see them frustrate Spurs, mm. a Spurs team that are not exactly free-flowing at the moment and, and Kane perhaps having regressed slightly in terms of his output. So, yeah, I'd give him a chance to I mean, everyone, maybe nick a draw. Everyone talked about the big boost Spurs would get when they moved to the new stadium. They've actually lost two of their last four Premier League games there. So It's like the Wembley curse all over again. Yeah. They're, just, they're just not comfortable in their new surroundings. Well, yeah. Possibly. I, I, no, what? I think the mood actually is, is different in general. I, I've worked in a couple of Spurs matches this, this season and you feel that, that the mood is different. You feel that uh, Mauricio po- Pochettino, he's, he's different as well. And he is the emotional engine of this team. Uh, Spurs is a reflection of how emotional and how they play with their heart. I think it's, that's much of a reflection from uh, Pochettino. Uh, he was very bothered with the with the international uh, window, with the, mm. the transfer window. Right. So now that's done, that that will improve uh, the team, I think. You think? Well, yes. You were mentioning Newcastle perhaps benefiting from the international break. Do you think that chance to kind of reset to start again, to clear the air, whatever, might see an improved Spurs this time around with maybe Deli Alley come back, coming back into the picture? Maybe, but I think the closing the transfer window, mm. that's going to have more of an impact because he wasted so much time trying to figure out if Ericsson's staying, what's happening with Vertogen, if he's staying or not, the, his contract, his situation. And I think now that he's done answering those questions uh, and he was visibly upset and, and he, he didn't want to talk about it and he didn't want to deal with it. So now that he he needs he can focus only on his team, that can have an impact. But the mood is different, and I think that reflects on the team. Okay. Anyone wondering how much older Roy Hodgson is than the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? It's twenty six thousand one hundred and seventy days. That's the difference. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a big gap. Tottenham Hotspur Crystal Palace is three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. As is. The Wolverhampton Wanderers clash with Chelsea. Wolves yet to win this season. Chelsea haven't had the best of starts, but they should have N'Golo Kante back, which could be crucial, Rafa. Yeah, I think it is crucial for this team because they're trying to play a high-pressing game and then to have this guy as your rest defence, as we say in Germany, the guy who protects uh, the players left behind, is <laughs> it makes a big difference, I think, to that game plan working out or looking a little bit naive, looking a little bit open. I mean, he he is so good at closing down those spaces, so it will definitely help Chelsea. And I also think Wolves are the sort of team that Chelsea will like to play against because Wolves are um, are good with the ball. They will push men forward. They will give you a chance to press. And um, I think it'll be a good test for, I think, has been already a pretty decent Chelsea team. I think we are maybe a little bit harsh Yes, they had one or two results that uh, weren't that good, but the actual football and the actual change in 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 attitude tactically and how how they play and I think it's been pretty impressive so far. Especially if you're considering how hamstrung they've been in in the transfer market, uh, effectively mm. only using players that they already had or got back on loan. So I think Chelsea have done pretty well, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they registered an away game, uh, away win. Yeah, I agree, and they've already given more minutes in the Premier League this season to English players aged 21 or under than in any of the previous 14 seasons. Wow. That's 14 seasons stat. put together? Or no, in, in any, any of the of previous them. 14. Right. Um, I also think this is a massive game for Wolves because mm. Wolves are one of only two teams who haven't won a game this season, but they're actually the only team in the Premier League who haven't led for a single minute this season. Wow. 
it's all very well saying, oh, you know, a bit of a slow start in the Europa League, but if they lose this match um, and they've got a record of two draws from five games, that's starting to look a little bit, you know, ropey. Listeners, it's producer Ben here with another update of my fashion fables. Now, I'm currently trying out Stitch Fix, an online personal stylist service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. Stitch Fix works with all your favourite brands like River Island, Penguin and Superdry, and some you might not have heard of, like Bixby Nomad and Selected Om. Exactly. All you've got to do is sign up at stitchfix.com, answer a few questions about your style, your size, your shape and your budget, and they'll send you a smartly packed box of clothes hand-picked by one of their team of stylists. I received my second box a couple of days ago and this had some autumnal choices in there because, kids, the weather's turned and this season it's all about textured crewnecks. With Stitch Fix, you try everything on at home and mix and match your stuff with the rest of your wardrobe. You keep what you want and send back what you don't and delivery is free both ways. All you do is pay a one-off stylist fee of £10, which is used against any of the clothes you buy. Try it for yourself on the Stitch Fix app or at stitchfix.com slash totally. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot com slash totally. Hey, listener. Big news on Tuesday, eh? The Cowley brothers in at Huddersfield. The legendary Cowley brothers, Danny and assistant Nicky. Huge because they make the leap up from League One Lincoln. Huger because it's only a few years ago that Nicky and Danny were actually PE teachers. Now, since then, of course, they've done great things with the Imps, promotions from the National League and League Two, going all the way to the FA Cup quarterfinals while they were still a non-league side. But how are they going to cope at the Terriers? Well, let's hear now from someone who's known them since their PE days, before it was even cool, Caroline Barker, host of our Totally Football League show. I want it to go well. So I think there is a level of fear because you want them to be successful. And I think excitement, absolutely. Do they deserve it? Absolutely. I just want it to go well for them. What's the fear for you? We've seen previous managers make that move up. But I think they have enough in them to get this club back into the Premier League. And so the ultimate joy in it now is that they could be Premier League managers in a couple of seasons' time. So, so, How so, wonderful would that be? How exciting is that? You've known them since their PE teacher days. Yeah, so when they were at Concord Rangers, hmm. I used to do a little non-league... I still do a, a little non-league football show. And I'd always spoken to the, the cows at how successful they were at, at Concord. And that was just up the road from me at Chelmsford. And I was chief executive involved at Chelmsford at, at the time. And several times I tried to get them to be managers at Chelmsford because I thought it'd be a perfect fit we lost them once and they went to Braintree instead of Concord but at Concord the joy was it was all about the family mum Jill every Christmas I think they bought her a copy of the non-league directory and and she'd know more about non-league football than they did their dad would would pick out players too they'd all be watching games and it was very much that family unit that worked together and I think that's where the success comes from will that continue at Huddersfield do you think absolutely absolutely so every time they go into a club they don't just go and talk to the, the owner. Uh, they go and talk to everyone involved in it, from those that are selling tickets throughout the week to the fans. And they try and find someone to talk to so that they know absolutely everything about what they're w- walking into. They will have done their research and they'll have worked out that this is the best opportunity for both parties. Now, you've seen their incredible success mm. at Lincoln. Do their kind of tactics making players train in their underwear if they don't bring their kit, all that kind of stuff from their early days. Can you see it working at Huddersfield? They will have not gone in there unless they think they can make it work. In the early days at at Concord, and initially when we spoke to them at Chelmsford, it was about actually 
Can they work with the players that are already on contracts? Can they get players out of the club? Can they mould it and change it to how they want it to be? Now, regardless of where your team is, yeah, of course, you're dealing with players that are paid far more than the, than the 20 or 50 quid a, a week that are getting subs down in, in the leagues that they were being in. But there, it's the same mentality. But tactically, what do you think? Can their football work at this level? Will they be more forgiving? So will they be forgiven and they'll have to adapt their tactics for this level? If they can just stabilise things at Huddersfield, then that's the win. So it's not maybe about what they do this season and keeping them up and maybe keeping them mid-table. It's about then what happens next season, isn't it? I think they can adapt and I think they can change. I'd love to see it work and I think it will. Caroline Barker. And there's more of that on the Totally Football League show talking about that appointment and one or two of the other surprises that happened this midweek. Duncan, though, you were at the Cowley's final game for Lincoln. Mm, haunting to think back and, and realise what I was now witnessing. Yeah. What happened in it? Uh, it was Wickham 3, Lincoln 1, so they signed right. off with a defeat. They did whistle very effectively like PE teachers should. Did they? Yeah. Because you're... I mean, Wickham's Gareth Ainsworth yeah. is, is, is the next kind of extremely highly touted lower league manager who people are suggesting might make the big leap. Yeah, he is. Um, he had a very enlightening interview with the Totally Football League show in which he sort of issued a semi-come-and-get-me plea. To, to the Totally Football League show? Not yet, but okay. that, that will surely come. Right. Um, but no, more uh, Wickham are undergoing a kind of investment scenario at the moment. So okay. I think he's, yeah, his stock's very high. Wickham are top of League One. It's the highest position they've ever been in their 132-year history. So, wow. um, so yeah. Brilliant. All right. Uh, anyway, the Cowleys arriving at Huddersfield, uh, Producer Ben's very excited about it because it gives us a chance, Natalie, to mention the other great football manager brother, Partnerships, obviously the Nevilles. Phil, you were a cool, was Gary's assistant in their stint at Valencia. Obviously the Coomans as well, where you have Erwin Cooman working with Ronald. Yeah. Nero Davizi, Southampton, Everton. Martin Yor. Martin Yor and his brother Cock. Cock uh, was Martin's assistant at Ajax, and they have another brother who's a referee. His name is Dick. These these are these are their names. So. <laughs> <laughs> Family members, eh? A tu vera, a tu vera, siempre a la verita. That's right, that's right, listener. That is Lola Flores, LOLA, famous Spanish singer, and pertinently for us, auntie to Kike Sanchez (laughs) Flores, who returns to the Premier League this weekend at home to Arsenal. Uh, with the Watford side, who are most definitely not on song. Uh, Natalie, you're going to this game as well, Watford yes, Arsenal? Yes, I am. Right. Why? Is it is it Sanchez Flores? <laughs> no, we just go to a lot of Premier League matches. All yes. right, lucky you. Yes. Brilliant. Lucky me. So, so Hornets are the only side, or the Hornets popularly, are one of only two sides without a win. Uh, will they get a new manager bounce here? Well, uh, I was, I think, like most people, a bit surprised with especially the timing, uh, changing managers. But let's look at the, the, the good side of things. So let, let's let's look at this change with a little bit of hope for, for the Watford fans. Uh, Sanchez Flores has built strong defenses. So that is a characteristic of his work. Uh, in the season, he joined our, um, Watford for the first time. 
in the season he joined Watford for the first time. Watford had uh, eight clean sheets in their first 17 league matches. But another point that we need to consider is that these first matches uh, for Watford showed a little bit of lack of accuracy in attack, mm. uh, especially the, the matches against West Ham and uh, Everton. I remember West Ham was like 23 shots, one goal. Wow. So he will have a lot of work to do in all departments, but... Let's see how how it goes, really, because uh, it's it's hard to understand how a guy that wasn't good enough in 2016 for the club is good well, enough now. I, I think also there were issues between him and yes, the club yes, beyond his yes, performance board, as manager. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you mentioned his success for a lot of that season. It didn't really extend to the games with Arsenal, which they lost 3-0 at home and 4-0 at the Emirates, although only one of the Arsenal players who scored those seven goals is still with the club. It's Hector Bellerin. Hmm. Um, Rafa well Watford in a way are similar to Man United whereas perhaps they haven't been getting the results in line with their performances um, it, I think it's surprising for what was supposed to be slightly more enlightened regime at Watford that they wouldn't look at the underlying hmm. uh, numbers and see that actually there was nothing really wrong with what Grassi was doing so it comes down to basically saying you are unlucky we're going to replace you with someone who might get lucky again because Watford did okay. They just didn't get the results that their game warranted. All right. Well, for a long time, they haven't been getting those results. I guess at that point, you might start to feel that there's an underlying trend to those numbers. I mean, the strange thing, I think, is if, if they are looking a bit deeper and they're sort of saying, well, Garcia's maybe lost the dressing room a bit, mm. fair enough. But then they bring back a guy that basically fell out with everyone a few years ago. So. Well, we'll see, I guess. I mean, Garcia was... I think it was very categorical. You were either in the team or you were not. There were a lot of people who were sidelined and maybe the owners are thinking, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who we pay a lot of money to, but they haven't got any chance, whatever they do. So at least now we're broadening the squad, maybe make the squad a little bit bigger again by bringing back Flores, who's a bit more flexible. All right, bottom of the table. They need to do something. Uh, rest of the Premier League involves Brighton taking on Burnley. That's Saturday at three o'clock. Uh, extraordinary business with Danny Drinkwater, by the way, who got beaten up outside China White's in Manchester last week. Because is this right? He chatted up another player's girlfriend and then was set upon by a gang of rowdy men. Allegedly. Moral of the story? What's that? Drink water. You're on fire with your drink water. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much all the content. Right. I drink water. Okay. In football terms, Duncan? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because obviously Burnley are just Burnleying their way through the season. But... but look back to their Burnley best but um, Brighton obviously very different under Graham Potter yes. their possession of 47% away at City last time out they did lose 4-0 but it's the fourth highest an away team has had against Pep Guardiola in his entire career Crikey. so you know Guardiola was very um, complimentary about them after the game um, obviously they couldn't quite live with City's uh, finishing but I think this game Potentially they could, you know, if they are going to do a lot better this season and live up to what people think they can do, then I think this is a, a fixture they need to kind of uh, cut loose in. All right. Sheffield United are hosting Saints. Blades indeed could go top four, one of the revelations of these early rounds. Do you want something obscure on this? Why not? OK. Um, think back to the last time this fixture was played in the Premier League in 1994. Yes. Southampton uh, would... It, was the first time Southampton had ever named two players called Neil in their starting lineup. <laughs> they would go on to set the Premier League record of three Neils in one starting eleven, which they did a few times, and they'd also play Alan Nielsen, but he's no relation to Roger Nielsen, who was playing for Sheffield United in that game. So there's a, a kind of quick Neil roundup. Where did 
you get those things? <laughs> I'm not truly sure, but something <laughs> in the Did you say where or why? <laughs> <laughs> okay, can work both ways. Okay. Uh, there you go. Sheffield United are taking on Saints. I look forward to discussing what happens in that game. In Monday's show, Bournemouth-Everton. I bet that's going to be fun as well because they're usually pretty entertaining games between these two. Had a couple of red cards in that 2-2 at the Vitality last season. The, back in 2017, do you remember when Bournemouth went to Goodison and they had that 6-3 win for Everton with four goals in the last seven minutes. Do you remember that game? This is kind of like the hipster Liverpool v Norwich. Is this, it? Well, because everyone knows Liverpool v Norwich is just goals, goals, goals. But this this game, this fixture average is 3.9 per game, 31 goals in eight games. All right. Is that the highest goal per game ratio in the Premier League currently? Um, of available Premier League fixtures? Liverpool Norwich does sneak ahead, sadly. But that's the mainstream one. Everyone knows that. Okay. But, yeah. So there should be goals in this game. So if you, you know, you, you wondering whether to tune in one o'clock on Sunday your advice Duncan is do it go first boom alright and the other Premier League game which won't happen until Monday evening is Aston Villa against West Ham which I uh, jokingly called the David Cameron Derby Luron do you remember why Natalie David Cameron yeah do you remember mm. him so he he claimed he did a politician thing about oh yeah I, I support Aston Villa and then, and then he made this speech saying, obviously, I want you all to support West Ham, who, to be fair, play in similar, similar colours. colours. <laughs> yeah. But it's, a, I mean, luckily, that turned out to be probably the biggest mistake of his political yeah. career. Anyway, what's going to happen, do you think, when Villa take on West Ham? Hammers are looking dangerous now, aren't they? Won the last two. Sebastian Allaire with, with three goals, I think, in those two fixtures. He settled really well in, in West Ham and, and he, he already showed that he's a true goal scorer. Uh, I like his physicality. It fits well in the Premier League. Felipe Anderson is doing well as mm. well. He, he started really do, doing really well playing on the left. The first match against City he played on the right didn't do so well. He got back to, to his favorite side. And um, yeah, I like I like the the offensive side of, of, of West Ham. Can, mm. can be entertaining. Okay. In the same way that Spurs don't have that feeling of momentum of something exactly. happening, West Ham do seem to have it. You, you, you a fan of Sebastian Allaire from his Frankfurt days? Yes, I am a fan. But what I'm kind of more pleased to see uh, yeah. almost is that uh, West Ham might uh, show signs of dropping that bit of flakiness that mm. uh, you'd associated with them uh, last year, uh, especially you know when it comes against playing some of the lesser sides like Norwich just before the international break you're thinking you know this is a team that rises to the occasion but when the occasion isn't there they kind of um can can be a little bit underwhelming uh but they were really solid and i think it bodes well for a team that individually in terms of quality perhaps have been underachieving um, i'd say over the last few years yeah, I think um, Natalie mentioned uh, Felipe Anderson. He's been good. Lanzini, only De Bruyne has created more chances this season yeah, than Lanzini. Um, Yarmolenko starts to score goals. Mm. I mean, if you actually look through the West Ham squad, it's it's not that bad. Yeah, and, and it's it's really nice to see Lanzini feet again. Mm. That's coming up on Monday night then. Now, very shortly, we'll be having a look at some of the questions we've been sent in and also at the big fixtures that are going to be available in Europe uh, this weekend. First of all, though... Over to producer Ben. 
Thank you very much, Jimbo. I do indeed have Lee Price from Paddy Power here to talk through the weekend's odds in the Premier League. Now, listeners, I know you love this section and therefore it may have come as quite the surprise to some of you eagle-eared listeners when Lee and I went off on one on Monday and due to a production error, Lee predicted that Watford would be the winners of Euro 2020. Now, listeners, let me take you behind the curtain. That's not going to happen now. Lee, to prove that you are here with me, what am I wearing? <laughs> I do slightly resent having to justify ourselves like this, Ben. Why on earth would we make use of modern technology? Uh, anyway, you're all in black, as you normally are, and as I usually am, actually. And that's a lovely top from Stitch Fix, may I say, who I am proud to announce I'm a brand ambassador for now, if, if they'll have me. Um, and to prove that we're in the same place, how many things am I holding up, Ben? Well, I know we're doing this for transparency reasons, Lee. You've got five on it. You're like the loonies. You're holding up five fingers. Anyway, let's get on to the odds. The big one this Saturday is Newcastle away at Anfield to take on Liverpool. What's going to happen here, please? Yeah, tough start for Kike Sanchez-Flores. Thrown straight into deep end in his first match in charge. And I'm just joking, listener. Liverpool-Newcastle one-sided. 1-8 to eight. the home side wins this one. 15-2 for the draw. Newcastle 17-1 to one to get all three points. And um, We heard the gang talking about famous 4-3 results earlier in the show. It's 150-1 to one. the home side wins 4-3 or 200-1 to one that Newcastle do. Let's hope for one of those. Ho-ho, let's genuinely talk about Watford now. Is there going to be a first win second time round for Kike Sanchez-Flores when Watford hosts Arsenal? So on to Kike Sanchez Flores in the right order this week. Uh, it's thirteen to five. The Hornets win at home against Arsenal. When it's a weird price like that, you can know that it hasn't been entirely ruled out, but isn't nailed on either. Arsenal, on the other hand, are odds on, usually a good indicator, at ten to eleven to win this, but they are on the road. Just uh, it's thirteen to five for the draw, and we have got a money back special on this game. Will Pierre Emerick Aubameyang score? We're offering a money back as a free bet if he does. That applies to all markets, pre-match singles only. Max free bet £10. TNCs apply. And finally, it's Villa versus West Ham. It's going to be a happy day for David Cameron either way. Give us the markets here, please. <laughs> the porky pig derby, you might say. I wouldn't. Um, the prices for this, Aston Villa 8-5 to five to win this game. West Ham are 6-4. to four. What does that mean? We narrowly, narrowly favour the wayside here. The draw's 5-2, to two, but a tough one to call. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Natalie uh, did say earlier we're going to hear a bit more about international football, South American style, uh, which saw the last few days of Brazil's 17-match unbeaten run coming to an end. Yes, 1-0 to Peru. A lot of changes in this match. Uh, Titi, the manager, uh, he he benched uh, Neymar and mm. Dani Alves and Arthur uh, to give chance to, to other to other players. Uh, Brazilian fans are not very patient when when it comes to giving chances. Although, even though they want uh, some new faces in the national team and they want some. Uh, the spirit of change uh, between one World Cup and the other, uh, they need results as well. They want results and they want Brazil performing well. So Brazilian teams not doing, not going through a very good phase, uh, even though they just won Copa America, uh, the performances weren't that pleasing. 
And now with the draw with Colombia and then now losing to Peru, it's looking a little bit shaky. Who are the new faces he was looking to bring in? Uh, David Neres from from Ajax. Uh, Richarlison started again and he did well again. He was one of the main players in, in, in both matches. Um, it's more in the attacking side. Uh, and he's looking to... to turn things around so uh, the Brazilian team is not so reliant on players like Neymar, of course. Uh, and that's the, what the Brazilian fans are, are most afraid of, actually, because uh, in Copa America, uh, even though there's a lot of controversy around Neymar, uh, most Brazilian fans, they, they really missed uh, the impact that he has on the team. So Okay. Uh, turning to Europe then, and uh, what do we got coming up this weekend? What's some big games in Syria? Fiorentina uh, taking on Juventus. Uh, Fiorentina currently on nil point, as are Sampdoria, who will be facing Napoli. Both of Napoli's games so far this season have ended 4-3. Be interesting to see if this next one does two in Spain. Barcelona take on... Oh, yeah, another record yeah, for yeah. <laughs> Barcelona, meanwhile, are taking on Valencia in La Liga, which, as you may have read, you can now follow in its entirety on the new La Liga TV channel uh, from our friends at Premier Sports. Uh, Valencia have prepared for this game with Barcelona by firing their manager, Marcelino. There's also probably something going on in Ligue 1, but I put it to you, Raphael Honigstein, that there's nothing in Europe this weekend that's anywhere near as hot as Bayern Munich's trip to Leipzig. Unless it's Dortmund-Leverkusen, maybe, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, well, what about then uh, this cla- this huge clash between RB Leipzig and uh, and, and the champions? Yeah, it's, it's really, really big. It's big for many reasons. Um, it's big because of the impact on the table, even though it's still early days. Uh, but Leipzig have already shown themselves to be serious contenders for the title this year. They have a perfect record. They have in Julian Nagelsmann, the hottest young German coach. And they have a team that didn't lose any of their big players. Looks as if they um, have enough depth in the squad, certainly for the league title campaign. Whether that's enough for the Champions League, we'll have to see. And a real test also of their sort of contrasting philosophies or approaches, if you will. Because in Kovac, they have a guy who has belatedly started paying a little bit more attention to what the team's supposed to do with the ball. There's a lot more emphasis on that in training uh, after players have been very happy for the entire uh, last season and saying that there hasn't been enough work on that. So they're doing more, but it's still um, a sense of we are Bayern Munich, we have the best team, we have the best players, they'll figure it out. Um, And that more often than than not is enough. But they'll come up against a side who might not have as enough uh, individual quality, but as a team might be already functioning a little bit better. So mm. it is a big clash between different ideas, a coach that is rated very highly but still inexperienced, one who has uh, and, and one who has won stuff last year but perhaps looks still as if the job might be a little bit too big for him. And, of course, Timo Werner. Timo Werner is a, is a player who uh, renewed his contract at Leipzig spending the whole summer waiting for Bayern to tell him, look, we really want you. We're making an offer now to Leipzig. Bayern never did, even though they had some sort of agreement with the player that he was going to join them either this year or next year when his initial contract would have been run up. So I think he lost a little bit of trust. Right. Uh, he lost a little bit of um, the connection that he might have had with Bayern. Whether he will stay 
with Leipzig for the foreseeable future, we'll have to see because I think there will still be uh, offers coming in next year. But of course, if you were now to win this game for Leipzig with a goal or two, Bayern's decision-making progress in ultimately not going for him will come very much under the spotlight. So huge pressure, if you will, on Bayern, um, both on Kovac and the people above him, to make sure that kind of debate doesn't happen. I see. Ray Grit wants your prediction for the top spiel uh, between league leaders, RB Leipzig. He calls it Julian Nagelsmann's first real test as Leipzig manager. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And uh, I think he might win that test. I'm wow. going to go for 2-1 for Leipzig. OK. Uh, RB are currently top on nine points with Bayern second on seven alongside a resurgent Wolfsburg and Bayern Leverkusen, who, as we mentioned, are going to be at Borussia Dortmund. It's another huge game, um, and these games are both on Saturday, and they both, I think, will go a long way to shaping not necessarily how the title race will pan out, but certainly the perception of the teams and the um, the way that they see themselves in this, in this competition. Uh, I mean, Leverkusen don't quite have the same level of, of quality as Bayern, Dortmund and Leipzig, but in Peter Bosch, they have a manager who, when things click, plays... An amazingly attractive and and sort of um, super pleasing on the eye uh, football, which because of the quality of somebody like Kai Havertz or the people around him is good enough to win a lot of games. Whether they can beat a real top side in Borussia Dortmund um, to sort of really state their claim uh, for maybe the top three is is a little bit doubtful, I, I think, but. At the same time, you can flip it and see that for Dortmund, it's really vital because they had to slip up against Union Berlin, which threw up so many big questions. And Dortmund, as a club, are under pressure to justify a lot of the big statements they came out with at the beginning of the season where they said, we want to win it. Mm. If they want to win it, they definitely have to beat Leverkusen on Saturday. Okay. Meanwhile, second round of games in the new WSL season, which sees West Ham taking on Birmingham on Sunday. Big game, though, is... Newly promoted champions of the second division, Man United, up against last year's champions, Arsenal. That's Monday night. Somewhat controversial. Not sure what's happening with tickets, etc. This weekend, but I know some people who do, and it's the offside rule. So have a listen to that, and they'll have all the info. A couple of questions just to wrap up. Hello, Duncan. Just should mention, um, it was announced this week that the Tottenham-Arsenal WSL game in November is going to be played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So that's good. Very true. We're going to be back on Monday to review it all. We'll be joined by Daniel Story, Matt Davis-Adams and Emma Saunders. Don't forget, though, if you've liked what you heard from Rafa and Duncan and would perhaps enjoy seeing them do that on a stage, then you can check out the thetotallyfootballshow.com for tickets to our live events. Many thanks to you all for being with us today. Hope you have a great weekend, Natalie, Rafa and Duncan. Now from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally Football Show.